about a couple years ago, I was looking for ways to get more involved. I kind of started out on the internet just reaching out and trying to convince other people of our ideas, and I thought, this is great. I can use an avatar, and no one really knows who I am, so I don't have to worry about that. I think I jumped on Twitter right before we started getting about a wave of people about uh, a year and a half ago that just has continued on to this day. During that period of time, I actually started seeing uh, some of the activist groups out in Europe that had really impressed me. And the idea of uh, doing kind of public engagement and direct action hadn't really ever sunk into me until that time, until I saw what they were doing over there. And it was about that time that I also began seeing kind of an uptick in what was happening on social media. I saw more and more people. I think I started out, it was about a little over two years ago. And I think, uh, you know, the pro-white accounts you could find on Twitter, that you could probably count them on your fingers and toes. There wasn't a whole lot there. And, um, and then I, I kind of started finding people here and there, and we kept building. And, um, and then I just started seeing this flood of people coming in. I said, Something, something's happening here. Things are changing very rapidly. And so at that time, I was, uh, I was very much nervous about uh, putting myself out there, more because I'm you know, not a perfect person, and I, I you know, make mistakes just like everyone else. And I, at that time, I kind of psyched myself out and said, you know what, people will never be able to get over uh, you know, my past and my history, and so I, I just need to kind of be in the background and, and just see, see ways I can help. So at that time, I actually uh, helped launch a group called National Youth Front. It was about two years ago. And National Youth Front ended up being kind of the training ground for me, as well as a number of other people who wanted to find ways where we could start to begin networking in the real world and find ways that we could actually make a difference through trying to put on, you know, just political pressure or, or pressure on institutions. And we actually had uh, some some fairly uh, successful things that came about from that. I think one of them was we actually, uh, one of the big things we kind of did was we would just put up flyers at colleges every time uh, a professor was uh, saying something anti-white. I think the biggest one was they actually had a problem of whiteness class in uh, at Arizona State University. And, um, and just the idea was to get our talking points out there. And at that point, we're still really trying to seed some of our own language into the general public, which was kind of substituting the word racist for anti-white uh, because we wanted to get our people out of that framework, out of that anti-racial framework to actually feel comfortable advocating on a racial basis. So we actually did have some really good success, but I was more behind the scenes with that, pretty much organizing and orchestrating the entire thing. But we kind of reached a point where we felt that there was a little bit of a conflict of visions uh, between uh, those of us who were running it, and we actually just uh, decided to scuttle the project and uh, start over again, start fresh with a clear vision. And so that's what we did. And um, it was uh, perhaps one of the best things we could have done. And I think one of the things with very successful people that you will learn is that uh, sometimes 
the best thing you can do is knowing when something that you're doing isn't working. And that doesn't mean that you're giving up. And many people want to continue uh, with something kind of, I, I think uh, a good term for that is this, the sunken cost fallacy. It's like, well, I've already put this much work into it. You know, I have to keep going with it. And it wasn't as if we completely, you know, disbanded the idea of having uh, a network of like-minded people who wanted to get together and find ways that we could push back against the system. But we just kind of needed to hit the restart button and, and try over again. It, we, we felt that it didn't really have that it factor. And uh, the it factor is, is something that's usually talked about in uh, business circles or uh, in business and marketing, and uh, it's, it's kind of the idea when something is essentially mimetic, when it resonates with uh, people's minds. And uh, so we, we kind of scuttled the project, and, and we started again, and it was about that time that uh, Greg uh, reached out to me and said, hey, I, I hear you're in the area here in Northern California. Would you be interested in coming out to this meetup? And I was... I was extremely excited. It was the first time I'd ever really, I think other than that, I had met one person in real life, a guy who lived two hours away from me, who I drove uh, all the way up there just to meet with him and have lunch. And um, and that was a large part of what I was doing too. I said, you know what, I just, it, I have to put myself out there to find other people. Um, but I, 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 I felt that that there had to be other people out there. I mean, there's Northern California, there's millions of people. There has to be someone out there who, who agrees with me and sees what I'm seeing. So uh, it, was, it was actually really exciting to, to come out there, and I was actually uh, really excited once Greg uh, actually asked me to talk just for a short period of time, but to get a chance to tell everybody what I was doing with my project. And the fact that uh, we hadn't even really relaunched it yet uh, was was something that um, the fact that he actually gave me the, the ability to promote it was was huge. And um, and uh, a couple months later, we actually managed to get it off the ground, and uh, it's really taken off from there, uh, seeing that, it, I mean, I, I was just kind of stoked realizing that about half the crowd, half of you guys here are members of this thing uh, that we have. And, uh, and I think... Uh, we definitely made the right decision that uh, Identity Europa has that it factor. It has what uh, is resonating with people and what people want to become a part of, uh, something that people uh, are, are, are proud to say that they're part of. And so this is something that is very special. And it's something I can't take complete credit for because many of you here, I'm basically just collecting your followers and all the hard work you've done. Uh, in converting these people, uh, so I'm kind of just uh, coming coming through afterwards and, and collecting, uh, you know, everything that you guys have reaped. So, in a way, it's been, um, you know, it's obviously this is a this is a team game, and this is how we have to think about this uh, as a as a group that we're all kind of trying to find ways to work together. We're all trying to find our niches within our movement and fulfill those those areas and and coordinate across the board and across the country. So uh, going into things kind of more strategically as far as what we have been doing is that uh, one of the things, and actually one of the things uh, Millennial Woes talked about was the fact that he said, you know, we're kind of living in a day and age where if you're on a college campus, there's likely to be 
at least one other person somewhere on campus who shares your views or at least would be willing to or interested to come talk to you about them. And, uh, and like I said, with what I was seeing on the Internet a couple years ago and how, uh, how much web traffic our websites were collectively getting, I, I really felt the same thing too. And I felt that we just had to show people that we were present in their area, and we had to give them a glimmer of hope and something to reach out to. So, you know, some of the things we've actually done have been uh, very simple and as well very, very cost-effective. Simple simple flyering campaigns that we basically, uh, in fact, we've kind of taken this new hybrid activism where we we will put up some flyers, but then we'll we'll show that we did it on social media, and it's it's like we already have three, four, five thousand people following us on social media. There's a good chance that in any major metropolitan area where we post flyers, there's going to be at least maybe ten, twenty of our followers come from that city, uh, and at least maybe one or two of those people will actually reach out to the to us and. You know, we kind of did that. Uh, I had no data to go off of other than just knowing the web traffic on some of our websites, but it was a little bit of a, an article of faith. And I, I just knew in my heart that, uh, that if, we, if we took action, we would inspire other people to take action and um, everything would kind of just fall in place from there. And um, we were right. We have uh, maybe not at all the colleges we've been at, uh, at, at least with our flyer campaign. We had Project Siege, which is a project that kind of never really ends. At least it won't end until we've taken complete control of the universities. But the idea is that uh, we, I think everyone here is well aware that we uh, are completely excluded from the educational institutions uh, of our nation or nations, uh, those of you who are from outside of America, and that um, we, we really uh, just don't even have uh, a foothold in there, not even with students. Um, so we're kind of looking at it, the, the reason why I called it a siege is because um, in, in, in the Middle Ages when, when uh, when an army was laying siege to um, an institution, or in, or in their case, like a castle or a city, uh, they they had no one in there, and so it was kind of a war of attrition. They would kind of just hurl boulders at it uh, for months and months on end, hoping to break down a big enough of a hole or uh, hoping to basically get the people who were there to become so worn down, so starving, so hungry, so tired that they would just give up. And so that's kind of the idea with Project Siege, is that we may not be in these institutions right now, but from, from outside, we can uh, continue to put pressure on these institutions and wear them down and wear them out and demoralize them until the point that we can actually uh, penetrate those institutions and break into them. And uh, so far, that's been working very well. I'm actually uh, very proud to say that now we do have college students across the country, perhaps not in uh, large enough numbers at each college to get to the point where we can start pushing back against the faculty, but um, it's very exciting to see that we actually have, I think, probably uh, four or five uh, students who actually are very active at their schools with perhaps uh, students for Trump groups 
or um, the Republican clubs there on campus. Uh, in most cases, they're actually leading them. And so this is working, and we're going to continue to do it uh, until we actually get a foothold in there. And it doesn't have to be with the professors. It can be with the students. And I think eventually, too, we will find professors who are uh, sympathetic to us and maybe even are in the process right now of being uh, converted over to our views, who then we will be able to uh, plug in with the students. So whereas before in the past when there were uh, professors or instructors who had our views, they actually uh, were afraid to come out because they had no uh, grassroots support. Both the faculty and the students were against them. So from above and below, they were actually uh, receiving pushback. And uh, we've seen what's happened with many of the professors who did come out with some of our views, whether it was on race or um, you know anything, anything related to that, uh, or even just pushing back against uh, cultural Marxism, how they've really just been pushed out right away without a chance. And so... This is kind of our strategy with this. It's a a long-term strategy, and I am very confident that within the next five years uh, to ten years, we will have uh, created a beachhead in these institutions. So this is something that's, I think, working for us, and uh, this is also another thing that uh, Millennial Woes mentioned in his speech, and, and another thing I've really been talking to people about, which is occupying space. This is what we are involved in is cultural warfare, and um, it is uh, definitely a, a nonviolent warfare, but uh, the, everything in, in warfare is, is pretty much the same when you get into cultural warfare. And uh, it's about occupying space and holding space. And um, you know we are in a fight uh, for space, and right now, the reason why we're growing so fast is because we are occupying space on the internet and we are occupying space on message boards and occupying space on social media platforms such as Twitter and Facebook and then, uh, you know, and annexing that space for ourselves and then finding new spaces, new web pages, new Facebook pages to occupy. And that's why we're growing. And now we're trying to take that and take that into the real world and occupy space uh, in the 3D world that that we inhabit. And so that's why we've been launching these campaigns with flyers, with stickers, everywhere we can. And uh, actually just driving through Seattle, I've noticed, and, and Seattle's probably, out of all the cities I've been to, perhaps uh, the, the most cultural Marxist I've been to. And if you look on every street corner, you will see uh, cultural Marxist propaganda literally on every pole. And we have to fight for that space. We have to fight them, and we, we have to fight for every inch of it. And we may not be able to hold space initially, but uh, we, need to, we need to be there. We need to get in their heads. We need to demoralize them and freak them out and make them overreact. This is very much, a, in a way, you can think of it like a guerrilla uh, warfare in which uh, the individuals who, who were fighting that, that style of warfare would kind of disappear into the jungle or disappear among the population and would not you know, put on a formal uniform and just say, and put a big target on them. 
uh, we're, we're too weak for that. We're not in that position yet to where uh, we can just come out and say, hey, we're here, you know, we're white, alt-right, get used to it or something like that. Um, <laughs> I, I w- I'm looking forward to that day, and I think that day is, uh, is going to be approaching us very soon. But, um, but we have to think of it in those terms and, and acknowledge that, uh, you know, while we can't uh, maintain space, we can occupy it for short periods of time. And we can really, by doing that, uh, we can really uh, form memories in people's minds in which they, they remember what we did. Uh, many of you guys here actually watched our, uh, I think it was basically our first major uh, demonstration in San Francisco where we actually uh, went out on the pier where a woman was shot and killed by an illegal, and we protested the city's sanctuary policy. Um, and uh, the, the amount of shock we could see on, on people as they were walking by uh, was huge. It's not something they're going to forget anytime soon. It's, that's going to be something they're going to remember, I guarantee it, the rest of their lives. And that's a good thing because the more they start to see dissent and they, the more they start to see that not everyone agrees with them, the more they're going to start to doubt themselves and they're going to start to question their own beliefs and they're going to start to question the mainstream and what's being pushed. And the more they see it, the more curious they get about it, uh, as well as, as the less threatened they feel by it. Um, in addition to the fact that we have managed to uh, kind of bring about this aesthetic to our movement, which is attractive and breaks through the stereotypes that they've managed to build up uh, about us, which is, uh, in many ways, it's something called anti-propaganda. It's when your propaganda is working uh, against you because uh, it's so obviously false. So... These are, these are all things that, uh, that we've been doing and, and looking at doing, and we want to keep doing. And for those of you guys, some of you guys are in, uh, I've met some of you guys from the Hestia Society, and uh, perhaps maybe some of you guys may be looking to form your own groups. These are all tactics that you can look at using for yourself uh, where you're at, um, depending on, you know, I know there's different strategies uh, in, in some cases with neo-reactionary, and I think it's called passivism. Uh, in which some cases actually I think can be good, um, especially with social media management as far as not riling people up. Um, in fact, I've had my phone docs recently and I have people constantly tweeting at me, we're going to get you this and that. And uh, as much as I'm really tempted to mess with these people, um, I realize that the more that I would mess with these people, the harder they would uh, work to mess with me. So I think there is a power to taking the wind out of their sails as much as possible uh, when possible. We might not always be able to do that, but if we can, we should. And um, going kind of just from what we've doing, uh, been doing with our organization, I kind of want to roll into a little bit about just... Um, I think kind of just the tactics, and I was talking about this with Woes last night, just kind of the tactics of, of converting people and talking to them about our ideas. Because when I first started doing this about five or six years ago, um, 
I, I, like many of you, I was running into much, a lot of resistance and, uh, people were freaking out on me and getting angry with me and yelling at me. And after doing it for long enough, I started realizing that there were certain things I could say and get away with, or if I said them in a certain way and then gave them some time to think about it, I I found that I could kind of subvert that conditioning. And so... Uh, one of the things that's been on my mind that I that I want to talk to you guys about, and this is perhaps if woes, if you're building a database or something like that of talking points and stuff, which I think is a really good idea. And in fact, uh, there's uh, there's actually the the left has uh, many pamphlets like that, which are responses to commonly asked questions. And I actually just got one. If any of you guys have heard of Jacobin magazine. It's uh, kind of like, I, I think social, they consider themselves social democrats or something like that. Um, but uh, they actually have a, have a book, which is an intro to socialism. And it's like basically page by page, like, uh, you know, rebuttals or retorts to commonly asked questions or accusations against socialism. And it's very good. And I definitely think we should have that sort of thing. And so, uh, one of the things I think that uh, a lot of people should definitely think about, and sometimes people get sucked into, is uh, the argument about race itself as a as a social construct or or a, a biological reality. And uh, one of the things I've noticed that that works very beautifully is that you can actually. Um, one of the things you can kind of get around uh, with that is you can a lot of times people get sucked into arguing whether or not race is real and uh, when that's not quite necessary uh, to be honest and one of the things I found that works really well is when people start pushing this uh, this idea that race is a social construct one of the best ways I think uh, to to respond to that is to say you know what it really doesn't matter if race is or isn't real because we live in a society that uh, has a fetishism for equality. And people have identities, and they self-aggregate into groups based on those identities. And so we can actually then... uh, we can So because these people are actually aggregating themselves into groups and then advocating for equality then we can still look at uh, these factors that will will have a, a part in uh, whether or not equality is possible, whether that's uh, cultural, whether that's genetic distributions, and so on and so forth. And this is something I've found that actually, if you kind of take the wind out of their sails, in a, in, and in a way it's kind of uh, jujitsu. They're, they're kind of throwing a punch at you when they're saying race is a social construct because uh, there actually is a, a, a lot of truth to that, it's not a mere social construct, but uh, there there is some truth to that, and and there is some uh, continuum there. And the argument itself, on a biological level, is actually so complex that uh, you'll lose most people anyways, and they won't know what you're talking about if you do get to that level of argumentation. But one of the things we should actually think about is, and the reason why I'm talking about this is, we should very much one we should be a fr- we should try to work on not getting sucked into uh, some of these arguments to where you actually kind of get drawn away from the big picture. And the other one is that we shouldn't have knee-jerk reactions because that really takes the wind out of people's sails as well. 
I think another good one is probably the uh, white privilege meme that the the cultural Marxists love using so much. And uh, again, with that, I, I find it actually, to be honest, I think it's true. Now, I wouldn't... Um, I actually wouldn't identify uh, white privilege the same way they would, and I think that the reasons for it are much different. I think they're due to biological, uh, largely biological circumstances, but it is true. I mean, fuck, I'm glad I'm white, to be honest. It is a lot better. It's nice knowing that uh, I am categorized as, as someone, you know, that other people, not only do other white people look at me and say, hey, this guy's, you know, pro- I probably feel comfortable you know, I don't have to walk across the street because this guy's not going to, you know, jump me or something like that. Or I feel that this guy will, you know, do me right if I let him borrow some money or something like that. There's there's legitimate truth to that. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's actually not a good thing because we have to remember that uh, part of the reason why cultural Marxism is so alluring is because they actually have a lot of truth on their side. Um, however, they omit. A lot of things too, which will lead you to the wrong conclusion. They omit things in their premise. So one of the things we also need to make sure is that uh, we're not having knee-jerk reactions when we're having this discussion with people. And uh, perhaps the last thing I can think of, and there are definitely different ways you can approach uh, progressives. There is uh, perhaps the weave or the Andrew Anglin angle uh, that works with a small handful of people, not everybody, but it does work with some people. Um, And, uh, you know, there's also the Stefan Molyneux uh, intellectual uh, route with things, uh, which I tend to take a little bit more uh, when I do. And, And I think that if you are going to take that, if you're not going to take the kind of take no prisoner, shock and awe type strategy, um, and if you're doing that, uh, you should probably have a really good personality to where you can pull it off and people are still laughing. Uh, if people aren't laughing, you're just going to make them angry and they're going to put up a wall. So you've got you've to turn it into kind of a funny prank uh, joke for, I think, it to be really effective. But one of the things that's, that I've felt worked really well for us in in many of our campaigns, because also with what we're doing with Project Siege is going and talking to students on college campus on like a one-on-one basis, is listening to them. Let them know you care. And that will open up a window of opportunity for us to then uh, place our ideas in their mind. And it's you, you can't expect them to throw away 20 plus years of enculturation and, and conditioning all at once. But if you can let them open up that door so you can just you know stick that seed in there and let it grow, a lot of these people are going to come around to our side. And this has worked very well for us. Listen to them. Listen to what they're saying. Have a dialogue. We're not like them. We, we don't want to be like them where we want to just have a narrative and just shut them down and have knee-jerk reactions to everything. So from my own experience as far as, uh, as, far as having dialogue, as far as conversations go, that would be my advice in that realm. But these are the things that uh, Identity Europa is doing. We're trying to train people in how to do these things. We're training them in the importance of, of professionalization in every aspect of what they're doing. 
and uh, it's it's been wildly successful. We can't even at this point uh, we can't even keep up with uh, the amount of applications we have. I think last I checked, it was around thirty four, um, and that's I, I'd say we're probably answering about fifteen to twenty a week. So this is working. This is growing, and we just need more of what we're already doing. And uh, I think eventually we're going to get to the point where we can have some of these things actually that uh, Woes was mentioning earlier, having a, a cyber uh, strike team, having uh, documentation of these people beforehand who uh, are organizing against us and having information on them. I uh, don't like the idea of doxing, but um, you kind of have to fight fire with fire. And we shouldn't just be going out and doing it to people uh, without provocation just because they have a different view from us. But we should be ready to retaliate and retaliate ten times harder with anyone who dares try to strike out at our people. We should hit them hard. And we should hit them so hard that they can't recover from it and it send a message to all their buddies not to – that's not the way uh, they want to go about things. And in a sense – I see Identity Europa as kind of an olive branch. And uh, if they reject that olive branch, they're not going to like what they get after that. So I think that uh, this is working. I think it's going to continue to work. We have some... Uh, actually, you know what? I'll go into this. We will Our plans for the future... Uh, I will be perhaps over the next 6 to 12 months traveling around the country and working with people on the local level on uh, training them to get more organized. I will be taking them down to schools and teaching them how to start conversations with students. It was something that I myself had never done before. Uh, Just going out and talking to random people would have seemed crazy to me, uh, especially about something that was so taboo uh, politically. But I've actually discovered that you can do it and that uh, we actually haven't had really a single person freak out on us. Most, most people are conflict avoidant. And at most, they'll probably just, it, what we've seen at worst case scenario, usually they'll just try to get out of the conversation and leave. And it's like, okay, let them go. Let's, let's try someone else. Let's see if we can get somebody here. And we've had really great conversations with some of these students. For 30, 45 minutes, we've talked to some of these students and helped them unpack some of their uh, assumptions about the world. And uh, I think that it's, it's something, again, it's seed planting. We're playing Johnny Appleseed here. And it's something that's worked uh, very well and I think will, is a model that we can continue to build off of. Um, because putting up flyers, while we still need to do that stuff, you're only going to get so far with it. We need to put a face with our movement to where... Um, you know, again, uh, in a form we 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 subvert uh, the the mainstream narrative on us, and people can say, you know what? Uh, no, I actually met some of those people on my campus, and while I don't really agree with my views, uh, they seem very nice and presentable, and and were willing to listen to actually what I had to say too. Um, and and what I'm seeing here isn't quite a right presentation, and that's only going to bring them closer to us. Again, uh, the more times they see us and hear our message, and see uh, you know people uh, presenting a false representation of us, that's only going to work in our favor. And we need to to use that, and we need to humanize ourselves in in their mind. That is a huge thing that we need to do because they've dehumanized us. 
and uh, that's the only reason that's the only way logically they can continue to uh, treat us the way they do so uh, that's another purpose of going to schools and, and having these one-on-one -on -one conversations and also what's so great about this if you guys don't go to the school you're probably not going to see these these are people like you've never met. You're not going to see them again. So worst case scenario, even if they blow up on you, guess what? They don't know who you are. Uh, so it works great. Um, it's not as if uh, you know we're, we're asking you to maybe uh, talk to your best friend or your family or something like that. Most of you already have, but some of you haven't uh, because it's, it's obviously much more intimidating to talk to people you know and have known for a long time. So this is actually a way you can start to practice and get good at it. And worst case scenario, it's like, well, I'm probably not going to see that guy again. Even if I goofed up uh, on talking to him, it's, it's not a big deal. And even I've done it. I've goofed up and stuttered over myself and uh, said, you know what, okay, we'll get the next one. And uh, it, it really has helped me become a better speaker and, and kind of uh, taught me the best way to approach people. And so a lot of times uh, that's intimidating. So I want to get out there. I want to go across the country and, and go with guys to schools and help them organize. And I want to show them ways that um, they can take the initiative themselves. Uh, Identity Europa is really an organization that I created to empower other people. To be honest, I, I, I am not comfortable uh, with, with a lot of what I'm doing. I don't like doing the public stuff. I do it because I know it has to be done. Um, but you know, I want this to be an actual movement. I want uh, to get to the point where eventually we have uh, other chapters with leaders who are willing to talk to the media you know, on the local level and who know what's going on on the local level and who people in the local area can connect with and get to know. And, um, and even if they don't agree with your views, you're, you're around at all the local political events and people see you and, and again, you humanize yourself. That's, that's what this is for. And it's, it's just a network for professionals to work together and find ways to make a difference in the world. So we're going to keep doing what we're doing, and uh, it's going to, the pace of what we're doing is going to step up dramatically over the coming years. As of right now, about the only thing holding us back from growing even faster than we are right now is the fact that I'm still in college. So it's been a little frustrating for me. I'm trying to finish up that over the next, I have three semesters left, and then I'm just going to, we're just going to uh, go full tilt into this thing. And uh, we're going to see some, some massive, we're going to have a massive impact uh, on, on the future uh, discourse in this country. And that's something I'm excited about. And it's something that uh, all of you guys are going to have a part in, whether or not you're just uh, on the Internet and, and uh, changing the dialogue or uh, changing the conversation that way, or whether you're actually uh, part of our organization and engaging with us. Uh, we're creating essentially a new elite, uh, a fifth column within our society. And many of you guys are going to be the future leaders uh, of our people and of our nation. And uh, that's what we want to do is train you guys and give you the tools you need so when that time comes, you're ready to take it. Thank you. Could I... Uh... Field some questions? Yeah, I'll take a couple questions.
That's a, that's a great question. Um, I've actually been asked why we're targeting colleges so much, and uh, all of us are well aware of human biological and genetic diversity. We know that even amongst our own people uh, that there are hierarchies and distributions of genes, and the people who go to colleges and institutions are uh, much more, um, uh, goodness, what is it, low time preference? And they're, you know, they're, they're looking much more ahead, and they are, in fact, the, the cognitive elite of their cohort and of their generation. So that is why we spend so much time on the institutions, is uh, one, even if we cannot capture them, we can constantly disrupt and counter the narrative, and as well cause a lot of chaos, and in some senses, uh, the power to destroy something or make it dysfunctional is, in fact, the power to control it if you can't completely control it. So uh, that's why we target colleges, I think, and, and other, than, other than colleges, and also uh, it kind of goes with the you can't teach an old dog new tricks is that uh, you know, most people at colleges are young and they're still, uh, they're still pliable for a few more years. And eventually we want to hit even younger than that. And we already are starting to hit, get uh, younger guys in our groups. We have a guy from uh, our area who's 17 and a brilliant kid. And and it's actually kind of shocking to me. I was like, when I was 17, I was just sneaking out to smoke weed and, you know, do goofy stuff with my friends. I wasn't thinking about this stuff. I'm so impressed by the the quality of, of these kids coming into this. And uh, we want to find ways to uh, work with them so they can get to their friends and talk to their friends. And, uh, and so we win over the future. But in order to – the people we should be aiming are the youth because they're, they're much uh, more likely to change their minds. And, in fact, they've actually shown that after uh, a certain age, people's, uh, people's beliefs and worldviews tend to reach uh, fixation. And that's uh, likely very much due to the way uh, memory forms in the brain. You kind of have uh, short-term, mid-term, and long-term memories, but long-term memories actually are kind of the alignment of synapses that have gone into fixation. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm not sure research has progressed this far, but I would conjecture that political views, in a sense, are memories and uh, you know, beliefs about the way the world works or how it should work and that essentially they go into fixation, perhaps past a certain time for most people. Um, that's Again, that's just a conjecture about uh, you know, my own personal theory about why it might be harder to convert older people. But uh, I think that uh, radicals have always known that uh, younger people, even going back to Plato with uh, you know, him, accusations of him corrupting the youth, uh, that's always been uh, something that's happening. So we should target uh, young people. We should target uh, those who are in the cognitive elite who are being bottlenecked through the institutions of academia. And uh, the last thing, actually, we should be targeting, um, we should be targeting people who are political and maybe even sympathetic to us uh, or leaning towards us. And I think we've come up with some really amazing ways of doing that recently. Uh, we've kind of, you know, we've all talked about meme magic and, uh, you know, uh, kind of satirizing things until they become real. And uh, that's worked wonderfully for us. And, uh, in fact, recently some of our local guys kind of did that with uh, a guy uh, that goes to a college here. He's kind of a cucked uh, conservative, and they kind of just uh, put some flyers out uh, at his school uh, kind of accusing him of being a member of the alt-right. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> 
and saying, beware of this guy. He's a leader of the alt-right. And he got mad and posted it on uh, Facebook. And, and actually, one or two of the tweets, uh, you know, he might not have made, actually, but one or two of the tweets he did make. And so it was enough to be believable by the average college student. And in a sense, uh, he got really worked up about it. And in fact, the, the tweets he had actually made that we added along with those were ones he actually went back and deleted because he was afraid that if they saw those, they would believe the other tweets he, <laughs> he were on the flyer that he made. So in a sense, we have to give him uh, perhaps the uh, old Ben Garrison and uh, <laughs> treatment. And uh, that, that's, that worked to an extent with, with uh, old, old Ben, and, and it's also, I think, worked with, in a large extent, Molyneux. Uh, we've also kind of done that with him, Molyneux, you know, author of Culture of Critique. And uh, <laughs> so that's worked very well. So I think, uh, I think those are the ways we should be uh, looking to reach new people is, is through comedy and through, you know, just messing around with guys because it's hard to be mad at that. It really is. It's hard to stay mad at that. And then it's like, you know what, these guys are kind of cool, like, Screw these guys, but they're kind of cool, you know. Um, and then that also attracts uh, young people as well. So, yeah, that, that would be my answer to that. So. One more? Yeah, I'll take one more. Well, I've actually been encouraging our guys to do that. I would like to see a takeover of uh, the um, young Republicans on college campus or, you know, whatever each club identifies as. I'm not sure if they're all part of the same group, but... Um, that's, to be honest, I think that uh, for the most part and from what I'm seeing is that the people that are leading these groups, the students who are leading these are already uh, identitarians, they're white nationalists, they're reading all the same websites we are, and uh, again, they're joining Identity Europa, so they're obviously uh, us. And um, I actually think, and I think this happened kind of back in the 60s and 70s in which uh, kind of the neoliberals, communists kind of took over the Democrats, the young Democrats, and, and they, the party didn't really know what to do, and they got a big backlash for trying to purge them. I actually do see that happening in the future, and actually, to be honest, I, I've kind of changed my mind. I, I was looking at perhaps eventually we'll start like a white students' union or something like that, but I actually much much more like the idea of just taking over the uh, GOP groups and making the Republican Party an explicitly uh, pro-white group. And so that's actually one of the things we're aiming at. And um, I think in a way that's, I mean, that's still kind of metapolitical, I guess, um, because we're, we're getting in there and then uh, we're actually converting the other people there. In fact, uh, the, the guy I know, I'm not going to give away the school just because it's, uh, it would give away who he is, but uh, there's a, we have a student there at a, at a college in Northern California, and he's the head of uh, a you know, student Republican group, and he actually said that the younger guys coming into this are already completely red-pilled. And uh, so things are changing very rapidly, and, uh, and so I think the, the strategy is we should be infiltrating these groups, we should be taking them over, and then we should be converting as many people as possible in them, and then we should be using the money that these groups get uh, for speakers to invite our own speakers. And uh, I think at that point we'll probably uh, kind of... Uh, enter into conflict with the GOP itself, um, but at that point, there's not going to be, they're basically going to be cutting their arm off if they 
uh, try to purge us at that point. And um, what we'll probably do, I was actually thinking about the other day, is that we'll probably kind of wait to invite uh, our speakers uh, until we have maybe, you know, 10 or 15 uh, groups kind of taking over Republican groups, and then we'll kind of just have them all maybe in one week uh, uh, set up with their with their college, uh, you know, a time and place and everything to bring in maybe a series of speakers and basically set up a whole tour without the knowledge of the, uh, you know, the, the uh, centralized uh, a college Republican group, and then we'll basically just say, "Hey, we set this up." We'll go to the, we'll kind of try to see if we can strong arm them and say, "Hey, we just you know set up this tour. Um, if you don't like it, you're basically going to cut off. You know, you're you're going to do countless damage, and you're not going to be able to recover from it because we 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 run your your student groups at all your colleges, and I think that's very realistic the way things are going." Like I said, we're just exploding right now. So, yes, I'm very much uh, for that. And I actually think that uh, trying to take over some of these groups is better. And some of them actually are going to be uh, – some of the Students for Trump groups are going to be starting um, – uh, if they don't have uh, a Republican group on campus, they're going to be starting them themselves after uh, – well, now that election's over. They're going to be starting that, and uh, we're just going to go from there. So – yeah, definitely we should be. If you're a college student, uh, definitely that's it gives you a lot of cover. It gives you a good buffer. Um, and also the good thing is is our enemies actually think that Trump is us. So it's not a bad thing to let them keep thinking that. So, yeah. Well, great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.